I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to The Doctor Is In. I'm Paul Verhoeven, your host, and I remember the first time I saw Remembrance of the Daleks. The Doctor, the seventh to be precise, the Doctor's most frankly devious incarnation is confronted with a huge menacing robotic egg there's really no other way to refer to it which soon opens to reveal davros if there's a more sinister denizen of the universe i really can't think of one right now but the doctor and he exchange barbs and the doctor implies that he's more than just another time lord and he foils davros of course he does but it was too late my preteen brain couldn't stop thinking about this wizened fascistic maniac welded to a chair directing Daleks to go out and, you know, exterminate. I'd seen Genesis of the Daleks, where Davros creates the Dalek race, and, you know, the fourth Doctor, Tom Baker's Doctor, fails to stop him because of moral qualms, but I'd never seen Davros be this instantaneously, incandescently evil. Terry Malloy is a brilliant barn-burning performer, and he took up the mantle of Davros in the 80s, but part of the reason I love Terry's depiction of Davros, why it's the definitive version of Davros for me, is because he also plays Davros in Big Finish, and you all know how much I adore Big Finish. So, so with a bit of help from the Doctor Who Club in Newcastle, I ended up on a very long, very lovely, and frankly revelatory Zoom chat with none other than Davros himself, Terry Malloy. So in the words of Melvin Bragg, I hope you enjoy the program. I have a question that I've been wanting to ask for a little while. So I was interviewing uh, Kevin Conroy, who's the voice of Batman in the animated series a couple of years okay. back. Yeah, and yeah. he was, um, Mark Hamill plays the Joker on on Batman. And he said that the thing Mark Hamill always says yeah. is that voice acting is harder than acting because you are robbed of so many of the tools that you have at your disposal when you've got a face to move around and limbs to flail about with. Um, yeah. In your voice acting work, you're robbed of that stuff. But as Davros, you're pinned to a chair behind prosthetics. Would you agree with that assertion, or is that is that a little a little off? No, I mean it's it's you really have to develop vocally. You've got to develop a character that will, I mean, in my case, come come through a mask mm. um, to produce uh, the effect you want with the with the people uh, watching. In that case, uh, as you would on radio, where you've got to create this. You've got to create this world with your voice, this person that fits into the world that people are building in their mind, mm. um, and it's it, it, it's got to it's got to resonate with what they're what they're thinking. Um, but or partly you're you're building that picture anyway by using your voice to create a resonance for them to uh, to latch onto. And yeah, it is hard. I mean, people think oh, it's dead easy. You stand at a microphone, you got to you read it off the page. You know, yeah. well. My God, you t- you can tell at forty paces that people are sitting there reading it. Yeah, yeah. Because you can't. You've got to lift it off the page. Mm. Whoop, down the mic. Yeah. You know, otherwise, the thing about doing an audio play is you build up this this uh, rapper. You build up, um, you know, 
tensions and, and, and you, you get to sense each other's pace and you run with that pace. And if the scene decides, demands a particular pace, mm. you go with it and you know the other person's going to come along with you or work against you to give it more dynamics, um, which is what I love about audio. You know, you can't do that. You know, you can't do that on screen um, to the same extent. You know, it's um, as I say, yeah, you've got all these failing arms. But for me, that just distracts from what you should be doing. I mean, the best actors I've seen on, and the most riveting actors I've seen on screen are the ones who barely do anything. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you watch Hopkins in, in Silence of the Lambs, you know. I remember um, Martin Sheen was talking about playing Jed Bartlett and there was a scene where he got told that his daughter had been kidnapped and he was directed to scream and wail. And he said, no, 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 no. Real people don't scream and wail. Like real people, you want to see someone who is trying not to, which is way more interesting, you know? Yeah, it's the same, uh, Michael. I remember Michael Caine saying years ago, you know, that uh, playing drunk, to Mm. play drunk, you've got to play not drunk. (laughs) were yeah. desperately not drunk. And that's when you are really come over as being drunk. That's great. You know, that's great. Uh, you play against certain emotions in order to make that, that emotion actually, um, in dramatic terms, more real. Uh, but in, in real times, more real as well. Well, I mean, Davros is, Davros is all emotion and none at the same time. I, I mean, he is just this boiling cauldron of hatred, but he can't move. I mean, as far as restrictions put in place for performers, I mean, you know, he certainly can't, you know, he can't perform parkour and he can't scissor kick the doctor <laughs> from within I'd his... I'd love to see that. <laughs> He's been faking it the whole time. Davros, Davros and the Daleks doing parkour. Yay! <laughs> there is this, um, this is Japanese film, Zatoichi, about this blind swordsman who wanders around. And at the end of one of his films, they imply strongly that he's just been pretending to be blind to lower people's expectations. Now, right, yeah. do, do you think it's possible that Davros can pull a full Bubsy Berkeley or is he legitimately stuck in that chair? No, he's legitimately stuck. <laughs> Okay. That's the result of a blooming great atomic explosion in his laboratory, you know, sure, sure. which he managed to come out the other end of and um, cease to be the Aryan youth that he was, you know, before that happened, you know. Uh, well, because, I mean, that, the Khalids were, you yeah. know, a pure Aryan race. They were, you know, they were beautiful people, and which is why when he, when he became what he was, he was shunned by many of the people. Uh, by the by the Khalids because they thought no you should you should just kill yourself you know you know but he wouldn't because his mind is so strong but it's fascinating where all that anger there was I can't remember which one it was in now but there was a description that Davros says about you know uh, this happens and that happens and then that happens and I remember this and that pain and the water and it goes on and on and on and he says and that's the first second and I've been here for 10,000 years. Yep. And every second is like that. Yeah, he's cold and calculating, but he, there is a boiling fury inside, not only because of his physical, but, you know, you'd say, well, he could probably do something. He could clone himself and, you know, not have that. But in a sense, it it um, makes him more of who he is anyway, um, that uh, inner struggle sure. that he has. It reflects, in in a sense, the outer struggle that he has in in dealing with the Doctor and the Time Lords. 
It's like a form of combustion that kind of keeps the engine going. It's weird. I mean, he could, he could very easily get on some, get in some prosthetics and, you know, like exfoliate or something, just kind of clean it up a bit. Exfoliate, exfoliate, exfoliate. (laughs) (laughs) We'll contact Ella Bache and give that to them as a new catchphrase. Um, (laughs) He's such a, he's such an interesting character. And I'm sitting here going, how do you possibly, because a lot of Doctor Who stuff is fairly not easy, but it's possible to explain it to non-fans in a way that will translate. As yeah. as Davros, how would you pitch the character of Davros in terms anyone could understand, especially if they weren't a fan of the show? Uh, he's um, he's a crippled, embittered scientist who wants to have revenge on everyone. Basically, that's you know. That's a kind of a baseline. It's, it doesn't bring in so, so many of the subtleties about it, but um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he was, he's a scientist, yeah. A. <clears throat> he's crippled, disfigured, and um, he's embittered as a result of um, his inability to do all the things he wants to do for one, one reason or another. Do you think he... Um... Do you think he has hopes and dreams that aren't hate-based? Do, ha- do you think he has, like, secret hobbies he does on the side to just, you know, does he... Like to, uh, yeah, uh, he, garden, he, or? He, he's great at one-handed origami. He does brilliant <laughs> origami with one hand. It's you know, it's a joy to watch. It really is. Sure. Um, and I think he does balloon modelling too. I mean, he'd be a, he'd be a buzz at kids' parties. Would you know? he? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Too right. Yeah, and here is my uh, lower intestine. <laughs> you know. Imagine, imagine, imagine asking for a clown and getting Davros. Getting Davros, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I, um, I think the really interesting thing about Davros for me is that, well, the interesting thing. No, you know what? The interesting thing about you is that the other night you mentioned you were raised to a degree um, on science fiction. You had a love for science mm. fiction. Yeah. Typically speaking, I'm I'm tempted to ask cast of the show. You know, what was your who's your favorite doctor? When what's your first memory of Doctor Who? Let's go deep. Like, what science fiction really gets your like melts your butter? What was the stuff that really got you excited as a kid? Like books, films. Like, what what's the stuff that you drew upon that really excited you for oh, all of science uh, fiction? When I was a kid, we you know we we had stone tablets and it was chipped into it. You know, we didn't sure. <laughs> we certainly sure. didn't have films or videos or anything like that. Um, yeah, I mean, I. Um, well, I, I, I got into Asimov, basically, Foundation, right. you know, and, um, and Dune and, and oh. a lot of Highland stuff. And um, to me, it was, it was building this world. I mean, now people would say, oh, that's, you know, it's fantasy stuff, you know. Yeah, I love reading fantasy uh, novels as well. You know, I'd be, there are some great stuff because it's, if they're rooted in reality, mm. I mean, one of my favourite authors... Uh, in the area of fantasy is Robin Hobb. Um, uh, she's she's a superb writer. I mean, all her, you know, her stuff, you know, the, the Assassin's Trilogy and all of that, because it, it's focused on people, not on dragons. Well, yeah, there are dragons there, but they're not the important thing. It's the relationship between a person and a talking ship, you know, but it is based in a relationship. 
And those are the things that, that make me go. Obviously, I mean, uh, as I grew up, you know, John Wyndham, Triffids, mm. they're the Triffids and things like that were coming through. H.G. Um, uh, Wells, Invisible Man, um, uh, Time Machine, you know, the, uh, all of that mm. uh, just sparked my imagination. And um, as I say, uh, linked in with some of the stuff that was on the radio then. Um, very early sci-fi stuff like Journey into Space. Mm. Um, it uh, and we, I think we all have a kind of a, a thirst for what's out there or what's there, but also with my thirst was for the inner what's in there that could happen. I, I remember, well, I can't remember who it was that wrote it now, and it, I think it was a, it was a story called The Day the Stars Came. The days of the stars came out and it's about a society where they've got three suns. So they are in perpetual daylight all the time. Right. It's never night. And they have this, this, um, you know, religion about the stars coming and meaning the end of the world will come when the stars arrive. <clears throat> um, and it lasts 10,000 years. And every 10,000 years, civilization destroys itself and then starts again. And it's basically because every 10,000 years, all the suns eclipse each other and you have night and the stars appear. And people are not used to ha not having light. So they light fires in order to be able to see and they basically burn themselves to death. I mean, it was it, it was much, much more complicated than that, but it was, it was basically this, psychological concept of what happens when you put somebody people in a situation that they've never really experienced before sure and they're within a religious cult that says when the stars come out it'll be the end days and the stars have come out it's end days yeah headless chickens everywhere you know um so it's yeah what happens on other planets but also within ourselves and in our own communities and how we deal with each other um, you know, Brave New World, Huxley and stuff like that. Mm. I was absolutely, you know, um, you know, locked into. And um, Michael Moorcock, you know. Um, yes. Um, all of that, that, that got me into that whole whole thing, really, and, and, and sped my load outwards, you know. So, yeah, early days, I was really into that when I was a teenager, you know. And, but, and you know, earlier, early teens onwards, really. But it's all based in, yeah. like you said, it's all based in truth. It's all based in relationships. It has to be. Otherwise, it's rubbish. You know, I mean, my wife hates fantasy. She said it was all, you know, Throngar wielding the weapon of doom called Rakus. You know, why they got all that? I said, yeah, but, you know, that, that's, you know, that's the, that's the comic cuts version. But those people who write good, solid fantasy and sci-fi mm. are mm. not like that, you know. Um it is, you know, they have it. There is a philosophy there, and it's by no means an easy option. It's not an easy read. You can't say, "Oh, you're copying out reading science fiction or, or fantasy," because there's some really strongly dark and and deep uh, pieces of uh, sci-fi literature that that really, you know, get into you. You know, Blade Runner, all of that. You know, do sheep have electric? Electric sheep have dreams. Uh, do she, you know? Do, do androids dream of electric sheep? Sorry. Um, yeah, I mean, this man's ability to create worlds outside himself, yet within himself at the same time, mm. never ceases to amaze me. I wish I had the talent to do that. Um, 
I don't. Sadly, all I've got is the talent to actually put their words into somebody's mouth and utter them. But is that not uh, is that not like a different deck on the same ship? Surely. Uh, it probably is. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm I'm, I'm a storyteller as yeah. an actor. I'm yeah. a storyteller, uh, but I tend to be selling other people's stories, you know. But I, as an actor, I try to bring those stories alive. You know, it's it's a it's an aged age old tradition from way back. You know, the people who sat around and kept the history of the village going by telling the stories, the legends, you know, the Norse legends, whatever it may be, mm. um, and imbue them with a um, an attraction, with a dynamic, with a dr- dramatic um, backdrop that make people want to want to watch, you know, um, you know, way back to the Greeks and, uh, and uh, the, you know, Aeschylus and all of that, you know, it's, um, you're telling the stories, the stories of history. But someone else's, you're telling, so you're, so you're telling someone else's stories, but following that thread, have you ever at any point with Davros being tempted to steer the ship or offer input or try and kind of guide or ever have any input in terms of where you want Davros to go? I mean, like even little things. Well, I mean, I suppose the littlest thing was when, when I was asked to do it again, mm. you know, I, I tried to pull back on the ranting a bit because I felt there was, there was more, there was, there was a, a subtler side of Davros, a quieter side, which can be just as malicious yeah. and just as nasty as the full out rant. Um, the Nuremberg, you know, speech. Um, in that respect, yeah, I, I'm a great believer in trusting the scriptwriter and the script that I'm given, mm-hmm. and I will follow that. I'm not one of those who said, "Oh, I don't think." I mean, there were occasionally, having done it for so long, I think, you know, I mean, there was a classic actually some years ago. Big Finish sent me this script for a Davros story with with Colin Baker, you know, mm. and uh, I was actually. Uh, uh, I was I was down in London, and, I, and I, so I, I read half of it on the train coming back to, back home, you know. Yeah. And I only read, read the first half, and I thought, this is a load of toss. What a load of junk. Who wrote this? Rubbish. They don't know nothing about the Doctor. They don't know nothing about Davros. I mean, they're just, it's pathetic. I then read the second half. Oh, I realized know. I know the one. You know the one I'm talking about. I know about. the one, yeah, yeah. <laughs> ah okay it's right really, yeah it's really good it's a good it's good it's but it's again good. i found it yeah. really jarring but there have been so many times where if you have this really kind of mathematical solid bedrock of who a character is then it's really fun i guess to play with expectations well, against that yeah or to play outside that box yeah absolutely and it, it works so well i mean the difficulty for colin and i was trying to stop sounding too much like ourselves doing an impression or doing or... too good an impersonation of the other you sure, know sure um yeah but oh. uh yes <laughs> i just re- <laughs> there's another one where you it's a McGann one. You mentioned, uh, I know that Palindromes is fairly new, so I'm not going to touch spoilers, yeah. but no, no, no. I've just started reading um, The Once and Future King. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, which, in which the premise of Merlin, because I'm, I, I mean, I somehow dodged Arthurian law growing up and I've recently fallen into a massive hole and I'm just obsessed. I am right. obsessed. 
And the thing, I'm, the thing I'm enjoying about this is the premise that there is a character who is moving backwards. And the tragedy of that is that he knows what's going to happen, but he can't stop it because he's already passed things. He's already passed it. Yeah, yeah. But that's a really gorgeous premise. And it really, I mean, it really plays into this idea that science fiction, especially like Doctor Who's great at this. You take a very, very simple, clever idea, like a cool premise, and then you just build a plot around that. Do you have a yeah. favorite Davros story where, the writers have managed to give you a gift um, that you didn't think you would be getting going in. Uh, well, palindrome certainly. Mm. That you know, I love when I'm when I'm working. I love to. Um, I hate it when directors go, "Oh, that's great, that's great," um, because I've done so much that they kind of say, oh, "I know what I'm doing." I don't know what I'm doing. I haven't a bloody clue. Every time somebody sends me a script, I think, "Haven't they sussed it yet?" I can't do this. I don't know what I'm doing. So I throw something up in the air and they go, oh, that's fantastic. And I'm going, no, please direct me. Tell me that's crap. And, or you want this, or you want that. And, you know, there are some directors who will do that, thankfully. Mm. Will say, yeah, well, that's okay, Terry, but you're being lazy. You know, you can do better than that. And so I like to have my envelope pushed um, as an actor and as a character actor and as a voice actor. And um, Palindrome enabled me to have that in spades. Uh, In a similar way, that I did when I lasted at McGann in, in Terra Firma, you know, where in Terra Firma you've got this psych- psychosis of Davros thinking or trying to stop becoming the Emperor Dalek and he's being taken over mm. in, inside himself, you know, and it's um, uh, that, that psychological battle with yourself um, is one that I really, I really enjoyed. Um, the TV ones, I have to say, are, are very simplistic. You know, they're, they're fairly straightforward adventures. The delights come in the audios because there is so much more you can do mm. in um, twisting the tail of the tiger, as they say, um, and, and twisting the tail of the audience so that they're not quite sure which way is up. And that, for me, is a delight. It really is. Yeah, I mean... The TV series, as far as I'm concerned, in some ways gives Big Finish and the performers therein the colours with which to paint, right? It gives you something to spring off from and play with. What's it been like having this second iteration of your character become so explosively weird and so like high concept? Are you... I mean, I mean, I I guess what I'm trying to say is like, what what do you enjoy more as a performer? Um, The days off. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> no, I, just, I remember there's a lovely joke about an actor's been out of work for years and years and years and he comes home and uh, his wife says darling darling you never believe it so i've just landed the major villain in the new bond series and you're joking oh yeah yeah no it's a two-year contract you know i'm going to get 14 million pounds for doing it and and we're going to go all over the world we're going to Brazil, we're going to uh, japan america everything I, I can bring you and the kids with me it's a british darling he said no no you haven't heard the best bit yet i've got tuesday off <laughs> There's nothing, there's nothing like, there's no feeling better in the world than getting to cancel plans, is there? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, God, it's exhilarating. How have you, I mean, one of the things about about Davros is that he is, you know, he's a little sedentary, even when he's yelling and screaming and directing people, you know, he is is confined. Um, What's it been like turning out audio 
during COVID. I don't know if your lockdowns have been as stringent as ours, but I know I talked to um, Jason Hagelery a few weeks back and he was saying that yeah. it's been really challenging. Some, he said, some of the actors just get it. They know how to do their stuff remotely. They've got a setup like you, like you do and that it's easy. Yeah. But he said that yeah. some of the people, specifically a few of the doctors and he wouldn't name names, have no technical aptitude and have been a nightmare. How have you found working, working remotely? It's been interesting because in the early days, we kind of did it with Zoom. Uh, which was really bizarre. Right, right. Uh, because we had to record at our end. You know, I mean, basically, I have a, I have a digital audio workstation in which I record, mm. and uh, I have several mics. I've got a Rode. I've got this um, Yeti um, for different different things that I do, be it an audio book or or a, a drama. And uh, the early days, yes, it was very much recording your own stuff, and you send the files in, and they stitch them together. Uh, now we work with on Big Finish. The last couple of things I've done with them mm. has been via uh, a, a program called Clean Feed. Having said that, we record into a central studio, but we also record our own stuff as well, which we then send the files in. So should there be any dropout or slight glitch in the system, they've got a backup of a take that we've done mm. or, a, or a take that we've got um, on, on, on file. Um, and it works good. It, it works well. The only thing is you don't see anyone. Yeah, I was going to say, is that difficult? You as don't see, I mean, Zoom, you could see the other people doing the stuff in their little cupboards. Um, with clean feed, it's just voices. Right. Okay. But in a sense, that's what you get anyway when you're in a studio. When you go into a booth at the, at the, at the moat, you, you, yeah, there are windows, but you're focused on the mic. You know that, you know, Colin or, or Paul or, you know, Sylvester is there, but you're not looking at them. You're looking at the mic and you're reading into the mic. You're delivering. It is that relationship between actors when they're in studio. Their focus is the mic, uh, always has been. And the days of mono where you had somebody on the other side of the mic have gone. You know, you don't have anybody on the other side of your mic. Mm. You know, um, they're in a separate booth so they can separate the, the sounds out. So in that respect, it's the same. But it's the social aspect of doing a play together, of telling the story together. And yeah. part of that social aspect is sitting out in the in the, you know, having a cup of tea and a donut or one of Toby's infamous lunches. Um, and and jawing about things and catching up on on you know people that you haven't seen for a you know few months or possibly a few years, and it's that aspect that I think we all miss. Um, I think when the new normal becomes whatever normal it is going to become, I think uh, remote recording is still going to have quite a strong place. Okay. From my point of view, it's great that I don't have to climb on a train or a plane or whatever and go anywhere. I do it here. I've got a cup of tea in my hand or and I go downstairs and have a pee. And, you know, you're not, you know, you do it there. I wouldn't judge you. It's your, it's your house. OK, thanks. <laughs> oh, so much better. Thank you. No problem. <sighs> oh, thank you. You're very welcome. It's so interesting because one of the my, one of my favorite things about performing is when you get to rehearse. I mean, I, I love rehearsals. I love the process. I mean, do you ever rehearse the big finished stuff or is it just you just rock up and do it? No, you just do rehearse reading. Well, they say it rehearse reading, but nine times out of ten, they'll put a tape on it. Right. Um, 
we all know each other. Thankfully, we all know each other so well mm. that there is a kind of a shorthand in the way we, we deal with each other. Um, but yeah, I mean, I really, uh, I really miss the days where if you were doing telly, you know, you could spend a week, you know, rehearsing it and it doesn't happen anymore. You know, you, you meet somebody on the set, you know, shake hands, climb, get your clothes off, climb into bed and, you know, action. Um, what you have know. you been shooting lately? <laughs> it's, uh, it's, uh, it's to do with underwear. It's <laughs> The next Davros arc is very... It's- Yes, it wasn't Davros. <laughs> sure, he's. I think he's got. I think he's got a raw sexual side that we've yet to see. I mean, that he light does. on his head he has got to signal yeah. something, right? Well, I have to say, um, <laughs> when, he, when I first appeared, I got a, a number of letters from a couple of young girls down in London no, wanting you... to know if they could meet. They could meet me, and could I wear my leather jacket? No, no, oh, yeah. really? Yes. Yeah. A, it's not a leather jacket. It's B, I know. <laughs> no. I mean, it's not, as long as you're not, I guess, look, as long as you're not espousing the ideology of the character in question, it's okay. I just, yeah. everyone's got a fetish, I guess. Um, I guess so. Yeah. What, do you, what do you think of the, because um, I mean, Davros has got, I, I mean, there's the Daleks and the Cybermen. They're like the mm. Montagues and Capulets of Doctor Who, if the Montagues uh-huh. and Capulets were constantly trying to kill each other, which they actually were. Although, I, I'm just trying to now imagine Daleks and Cybermen having like, each having a teenage heir who is sneaking off to sleep with the other. The metaphor is yeah. terrible. What I'm trying to say is, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, where, like, where do you put? Like, <laughs> where do you where do you put it? Um, uh, who do you think you 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 are an authority, obviously, on one half of this of this age old battle? Who do you think would would win? Would come out? I mean. You're their leader. I mean, do you think the Daleks have what it takes to take down the Cybermen in like a theoretical, evenly matched tete-a-tete? Yes. Okay. Simple. You don't want to expand on that? Simple. I mean, there's just no, no, there's just no, there's no contest really. I mean, they're too busy clanking around and being pompous. Whereas my boys are just sort of out to kill. Right. It's the, the, you know, the street gang, street gang, you know. You see them, you shoot them. You don't start discussing, you know, rebooting yourself or anything like that. Um, yeah. And um, I don't think they've got the weaponry either. You know, it's... Uh, no conversion. And I know they may be able to go up, you know, but uh, Dallas can zip around all over the place and just take them out, you know. Take the legs out and they can't fly anywhere. So you just then hover above them. They can't get near you. Blop, you know, done. Done deal. So legs are a weakness, is what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. All right. I don't miss them, as you can see. I I can't. I can't. (laughs) You can't, exactly. (laughs) It's not a bike. Davros isn't going to get on a bike anytime. I mean, okay, so i got one one final question, Terry. Um, Obviously, you, you know, you, you grabbed the mantle of Davros and, you know, you were... You were carrying a character um, that had yeah. been performed before. Um, a lot of that happens a lot in Doctor Who with a lot of different characters, good guys and bad yeah. guys. Um, yeah. When people get to play a Doctor, they get to swan about and look at historical figures and go, I'm going to take the clothes of that guy and the, and the walk of that girl and just build this character. With Davros, I'm assuming you had a much more limited pool of influence to draw from to build your version of Davros. But I can tell you have a very 
like distinct worldview and you, you you're you know you've been performing for years i mean when you got into the chair where did you draw your influences from apart from davros and did you pull in anything else that maybe would surprise us influence wise um doing it physically you are so restricted by the environment you're in mm. well certainly there was in my days the mask was very very restricting you had literally no vision um you couldn't hear much <laughs> you know, um because you were, you you're totally encased in this foam latex head uh, and you really had to work hard to get any movement on the outside of it um with your you know with your mouth which kind of informed the way you had to speak you know particularly staccato delivery. Um, also the exterior, you are, that's it, that's all you've got. Which is why in a sense I was attracted to the part because for me, the character had to come through the voice. So I see Davros more as an internal character than an external character. Um, he could exist, you know, um, as a, you know, a mind in a jar, really, and be just as terrifying in what he proposes to do. I mean, yeah, physically he looks not too nice, um, but the essence of his evil, or if it is evil, or the essence of who he is and what he wants to do is within his brain and his world or universe view. And it's that that's always drawn it, me to it. And that that's made me realize that the, the permutations are endless, really. You can, you know, you've got a certain, obviously you've got a certain worldview in terms of, he wants to, he wants to make things right. You know, he wants to, if he sees problems, he solves them. If something gets in the way, he blows them out of the way because the, the solving of the problem is the most important thing. And to some people that might be wrong, you know, but from his point of view, there's no moral code to it. It's a, it's a reality that uh, something is not right. It needs to be put right. The Daleks aren't quite fierce enough. That's got to be put right. You know, there is hunger in the universe, so we solve it we use dead bodies you know because it's protein and it makes sense it's absolute sense oh it's soylent you know it is soylent great yeah absolutely um a um so he's not i was i, I think i've said i say this so often about evil people i said De davros isn't evil well he's evil to you but to himself he's not evil he's doing the right thing right um and it's just that it's you know it's the kind of you know big parade going past and everyone's saying, oh, look at everyone out of step with our Davros, you know, because he's running his own course and oh, everyone else is a bit out of step. Well, he's rolling. Yeah, he's rolling. Before he rolled, he could stumble a bit. You know? Well, I mean, sure. I mean, you know, it's, I, I find it interesting. I wonder if you had this perspective on him before you performed him or have you played him so long that you have had to humanize him in order to make him palatable for yourself as a performer? I think I know too much about him. I mean, I really do. You know, right. he's now sadly like a pair of old comfy slippers I put on. Right. right. <laughs> J 
genocidal slippers. Okay. Genocidal slippers. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, you obviously got to put something of yourself into it. And I suppose it's my own innate desire for, you know, harmony amongst people that makes me think, well, he's not obviously as bad as he is. Um, but it would also be one dimensional if he, all he did was rant and rage and, and destroy people. There's got to be, to make a rounded character, there's got to be other sides to them. Sure. However deeply hidden they may be, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I think there should be a, there should be a, we should do a, a, a series of, on the psychiatrist chair with Davros, you know, and, you know. He'd kill yeah. them. <laughs> well, no, he wouldn't, he wouldn't be allowed to, no, no. He's got to go. <laughs> How are you going to uh, stop him? <laughs> well, you first of all, you ground him so all his electrical zaps and things won't work. <laughs> Magnets, okay. Magnets, all of that. Put him in a in a Faraday cage or something, you know. <laughs> Nothing can get out, you know. Yeah, sure. Uh, or in. He's not going to open up then. He's going to feel very <laughs> restricted. You you need to make him feel. Like he can, like he can kill you, and that he yeah. chooses not to, right? Well, you put him in a holodeck, so he is killing everybody all the time, but still, in, in, you know, explaining why he's doing it at the same time. Oh, and sure. He thinks he's killing them, but not, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Someone suggested they do that. Why with are we Trump? talking like this, Paul? This is far too silly. Far I'm too so serious. <laughs> it's becoming. We're thinking. Oh, this is a good idea. Mm, why don't we do? Mm, yeah. No. No. No, look, none of this is going to fly. I mean, okay, so they, they suggested this thing. If Trump gets elected, my friend said, build a fake White House in like a military facility, put him in it, and let him, let him play president. Just not get anyone, not get anyone killed. The, the Truman Show. It should be the Truman Show. Yes, yes. yes the Trump Show. I mean, you're and in one. In to see him rushing around, you know. You know, um, that would be, yeah. I like the fact that you are you are because you did say something very I think interesting then um, that you have to Davros will never humanize other people because that would make it too hard to kill them and yes. you the person who plays Davros refuses to not humanize him because to do so would would make him basically unplayable for you is that correct yeah yeah absolutely okay. Yeah. Okay. God, that, that 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 pivot from stupid to sincere gave me whiplash. I don't know about you. Yes, indeed, a bit. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, Terry, it's been an absolute delight talking to you. I and you, Paul. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's been really fun. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Doctor Is In, and thank you to Terry for coming on and having a chat. And just if you want to catch up on the fairly exhaustive back catalogue of guests I've had on this show, you can head across to the doctorisin.show and you can kind of scroll down the who's who of people that I've had on my Doctor Who show. Or alternatively, you can just head across to iTunes or wherever you listen. So, I mean... Last episode, we had Jason Hagellery on. Before that, Neil Gaiman. We've talked to Stephen Moffat, Jodie Whittaker. I mean, the list is endless. And there's lots of really great guests coming up throughout the rest of 2020. 2020 has been a really stressful year, but I hope you're all enjoying yourselves somehow. Regardless, feel free to hop on the website, shoot me an email, hit me up on Twitter at TDIIPod. It is a terrible Twitter handle, but it's all I could get. Thank you so much. And thanks again to Terry. And I'll see you next time. Bye. 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.